VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we have an exciting lineup for you today. It's Julian Lawrence, James Scowcroft, and joining me from his new home somewhere in the far north of England, it's Rory K. Smith. Rory, all good up there? It's excellent. I mean, far north is pushing it, but yes, it's wonderful. Thank you. It's lovely and sunny today. It is far north, isn't it? No! Anyway, so I'm just going to... There's no surprise about where we're going to start. It's the North London Derby. Spurs and Arsenal. Now, Rory, help me out here, because Arsene Wenger is supposed to be inflexible and dogmatic and not notice the obvious and not like holding midfielders. Instead, he goes and he plays two of them. He puts Gibbs at left back. He, he plays well back up front. He makes all sorts of changes. This whole thing about like, whoa, we'll let the other team worry about us. That didn't happen. And he was almost, and he was vindicated, wasn't he? Yeah, he was just about. It didn't help Totland getting sent off, obviously. But we'll yeah, get to it, that. That, that. That whole idea that Vendor doesn't change, I think it's not been true for some time. It's ostensibly not been true since they played City away, what, the start of... Was it 2015? Yeah, when they went, they parked the bus. Yeah, and that, that, was, the, that was a very un-Arsenal performance. That, that was a massive... But we can't name too many others, though, can we? Not, no, certainly not before that, but since then, the way he changed... I actually think the game that changed Wenger's mind on how to play the, the sort of other top sides was when they got battered at Liverpool. I think that was the one where he thought, I can't do this anymore, this doesn't work. Uh, and that, that City performance was a, was a really significant one in terms of Arsenal's development. There are still other flaws in yeah. Wenger's approach. Like Manchester United away last week. Well, exactly. Well, that, 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 but that wasn't a tactical failing. I think that was more to do with, not, I don't want to say leadership, but it was more a lack of ruthlessness. But yeah, against Spurs, you, certainly tactically, you can't criticise the way that Wenger lined up for that game at all, I don't think. Julian, were you, were you surprised? I mean, because Elneny's come over, I think, was this his first Premier League start? Mm. To go and, and, and chuck him in there and to leave, I guess, Walcott and, and Giroud on the bench, did, did that surprise you? Or did you know no, it I was thought, coming? No, I thought he would play Flamini, I have to say. I didn't think, especially after Elneny's coming on against United, I thought he was very, very poor for such a big game. I thought I was, I was disappointed. He didn't play long, but I was disappointed. And I thought that he would play Cochrane Flamini against Spurs, especially with Flamini having such a good game there in the League Cup earlier in the season. But I wasn't surprised he went for two sort of more holding midfielders than Cochrane Ramsey, for example. And because also on the right-hand side, I think he struggled with, with Walcott there. You know, I think Oxford chamberlain that's why he played him. For, for a few games in a row, the injuries I think was was a bit a bit of a blow for Wenger because I think that right hand side is still even Wenger doesn't know who to put there and I think Ramsey 
in the game at Spurs was probably the best option he had to put on the right, which meant to be able to strengthen your you two in front of your back four. I, th- I thought it makes sense, and I thought I thought fair play. You're to talking me. like it's makes it's obvious now, but I mean, I thought no. well, it was a bit of an intuition there, and, and also picking well back ahead of ahead of Giroud. I I, I thought, well, what would you? I mean, as a as a fellow striker, Scotty, I think it was a sensible by um, Arsene Wenger. I think he, he paid Tottenham a lot of respect. By his line. And, and by all accounts, got his just rewards, really. I think the sending off would have been interesting to see if Arsenal would have had 11 players on the pitch for the 90 minutes. We'll get to sending off in a minute, but can you explain Ramsey's goal again? And I'm sorry, I, I know, like, we had, who was it? What was the, the amazing, was it was it Rooney's goal that we had you give a whole sort of technical yeah. breakdown? Yeah. So I'm excited, Rory, and bear with me for a second, because we've got Julian and Scoey here, both <laughs> of whom are capable of giving us a sensible breakdown there like the pass from Bellerin comes in why does he hit it that way rather than maybe controlling it or turning his body or or whatever is it because the ball comes in too hard or deflecting the the, the ball towards goal isn't it it comes it comes too fast too hard to him and, and I think you know when you're what is he seven eight yards out if you can just get that touch and and it's it's something that that players will practice a lot in um, after training. A lot of teams will do a lot of crossing and uh, finishing in training, and it'll be one of those balls will come in and you use all parts of your body to to try and score. But a lot of the time, balls will come behind you, and it, it's you have to learn how to adapt. It might be a touch and you turn and swivel, but it all might we see it quite a lot really, where it's just that little flick between the. Uh, Almost like a sort of a Cruyff turn, but not the turn really. Just comes, uh, just flick it towards it. I think it's great improvisation. Have you ever scored like that? Or tried it? <laughs> Were like you not it? surprised by the pace he got on it though? That's what I mean. He he hit that. So, whereas the Rooney one, I thought, you know, tremendous, but he kind of used the pace of the ball coming in. Here, it looked as if he actually added pace to to the ball. I'm not saying it's about the technique and the pace. I think the awareness is really good. He realizes where he is in the in in the penalty box. He realizes that he's free, and he can see the goalie out the left hand side of his shoulder. So, I think it's a great goal by Ramsey. You know, one that you know we used to see a lot of. I think it's similar to sort of Freddie Lundberg. You know, in the, the Invincible era when he used to make that late run into the box, and I've seen him sort of flick it between his uh, his legs before and score like that. But it's a bad ball. A cross behind behind your player is a bad cross. It's a bad, it's a, bad, it's a poor pass. That's why those goals are so good, like the overhead kicks. But initially, it's a bad cross. It's a bad ball. Otherwise, the ball is in front of him. It's a, it's an easier finish for him to do than having to do that to score a goal. Same with Rooney. That's why I find remarkable is that they transform a bad cross or a bad pass into an amazing goal by how good they are technically. Hi, Roy, did you have any insight into why? players make such bad decisions or did, did he just misjudge do you think Kane was a lot slower than he really is well you, you have to presume so don't you that he, he thought Kane couldn't get away from him but it, it was quite a spectacular weekend for stupid sendings off wasn't it I think Tottenham <laughs> probably probably t- just about wins the competition because it was such a it was such a dumb challenge and you could tell straight he knew straight away almost before he'd actually fouled him that it was a stupid thing to do you could you can see his face sort of changing and thinking uh-oh shouldn't have done that Occasionally, you know, the players aren't perfect. They make bad decisions. Trotteland made a bad decision, just as, as Milner made a bad decision. I was at West Brom yesterday when Matter made a quite terrible decision. It happens that they, that they kind of do things in the heat of the moment and then the situation changes and suddenly it looks like a bad decision. That could have been, if he, if he goes in a split second earlier, it could have been a great tackle from Trotteland. It's just one of those things, I think. There's danger there, OK? The, the Matter second yellow, the Milner second yellow, there's no danger there. There's, there's nothing. The, the Mata is in, is in the opposition's you know, half. Yeah. Same with Milner. This is different. Secondly, I think Cochrane... How is it different when he's all over by the, by the touchline? He's a touchline, but he's you know, getting closer to, 
getting closer to Arsenal goal. You, you know, if he, if, if, no, if, if not, Scotland it's Harry Kane, him. it's not Rivaldo here. I no, mean, but you know, still, maybe. he goes in, then can can come back in inside on his right foot and then have a shot or something. But it's definitely think, more sorry, danger I, there I, I, than I'm Milner. I'm going to ask about this actually technically because what, what struck me about that was I would I mean, Coughlin can get you know he's not a speedster, but I would expect that Coughlin running without the ball is going to be faster than Kane running with the ball. You've come over to cover the fact that he didn't jockey him or, or stay on his feet, try to slow him down, wait for help. That would have seemed to be like like a logical thing to do in that situation. That's true. That leads us to my second point. Coughlin is the best tackler in the Premier League. No one tackles, as in tackling, going to the ground to tackle, not recovering the ball right. by anticipation or anything. Right. Actually, the actual proper tackle. And I think he went there thinking, I'm going to get that ball like I get 95% of my tackles right. Okay. And the third thing is that Francis Coughlin is 24, but he's a very, very, very young player. This is his first season as a starter in a, in a team that plays for the title. Okay, this is this is all new to him. The the pressure of that kind of game. This is probably even the, the first North London derby he started in the league away at White Hart Lane. I'm not sure if he started last year. We might have to double check that. But this is all new to him. The lack of experience for someone who was 24. You would think, well, but he's 24. No, he's a very young player in terms of experience of those kind of games. And I think that's what got him. And I, I understand why people were frustrated, Arsenal fans and Wenger and everybody. But I think there's reasons why he went for it and, and then straight away well, knew, knowing that he shouldn't have. But I, I'm curious to hear from you guys, uh, how much of an impact did it really have on the game? In the sense that, you know, we tend to put two and two together. So the dude gets sent off and then they score two goals in, in two minutes shortly thereafter. And so our natural tendency is like, aha, like, you know, that that, that, that cost them the, the lead and, and could have cost them the game. But for Sanchez's uh, late equalizer, but then I kind of looked at the goals and stuff and the way they were scored. And it's obviously yeah. not easy. It's obviously no, been down 10 men, but... I think definitely with, with Kane's goal is because if you've got those two midfield players, they shuffle over, don't they? And I don't think Harry Kane comes inside. I think he probably goes back to the fullback there. So certainly I'd, I think that would have an impact in that Okay, situation. but you're also talking about an absolute world-beating strike, oh, yeah, no. and you're also talking about, you know, there's more space on the pitch. Mertesacker not not putting the ball yeah. into Rosette. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, <laughs> but just going back one step, what you've got to realise is it's it's okay to to debate on a, a studio or match a day on on Monday mornings or a Sunday evening, etc., etc. The heat at the moment, 36, 37,000 people in a massive, massive game of football, and you've got a split second to make a decision. People are going to, and if he is inexperienced, people are going to make the wrong decisions. So you, I think you have to bit a lot of frustration, obviously, by Arsene Wenger and Arsene fans. But I think you also have to put in the contents of the, the game. And you know, if the lad is a good tackler or he's, he's a good in, interceptor and, and reader of the play, then he just made the wrong decision. You know, yeah, that's no, what he's done. And Hindsight's a wonderful thing. No question. It, it's it less stupid for me than the matter one, for example. Okay, we, we, we'll, we'll get to matter. Yeah, we'll no get bet. to matter. You know, let's not have a go at him. And, and <laughs> as Van Hout punched in, you know, he's never had a red card in his career, so he's allowed to do certain things that Coughlin can't. Roy, our friend Mauricio Pochettino. See, I mean, I actually thought this was one game where as a neutral... Okay, it wasn't entirely neutral. It was a little teeny tiny bit of me that was hoping for a draw in this game for, for obvious reasons, but... I thought it was a tremendous spectacle, tremendous game. I can't find too much fault in the way Spurs played. I mean, in the sense that, yes, you can always do things better and we can all point out flaws, but if, if you're Pochettino and you're going through this game back in your head, what, what do you do differently? Did you, or do you just kind of say, like, look, we kind of gave it our best shot? Well, I don't think any man. I know what you mean. I don't think any manager ever, ever looks at things like that, do they? They always think there's, there's, there's things that they can do better, even when they win five five nils. So well, I'm maybe sure. not Brendan Rodgers. So I'm sure there's things that he he will pick up on that 
maybe contribute. What did to, you notice? To Spurs not winning. I, I, I'm the same if you had to you, wag mate, a I, finger at him. I, I, can't, I would never dream of pointing a finger at Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, I, I think it was one of those games. I think they're relatively well-matched teams. I think the, they maybe froze a little bit in points because of the pressure on it. As Jules says, someone like Cotelin is inexperienced in games of that sort of magnitude. But the entire te- Spurs team, to an extent, is inexperienced in games of that magnitude. They've not had many that important. I think he might look at it as being a learning experience. They did make mistakes. They weren't the best Spurs we have seen this season. But no, I don't think there's any major flaw in how they played. They, they ran into a good side. In games of that ilk, you tend to find that, that when teams do, 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 do go down to 10, they do find that kind of inner steel to, um, to fight back. You, if you want to point the finger at anybody, Lloris for Sanchez's goal... Yeah, it's, yeah, he slips, it, doesn't he? It, interesting that one because Martin Keown on uh, Match of the Day said he could have done better, and and friend David Priest, who I I follow on Twitter, and who obviously was a goalkeeper and who has a beard now and everything, which just lends lends him an extra air of gravitas. He's one of the clever ex footballers out there. I think. Yeah, you're making a face. You don't like him? I don't, I don't really know him. Okay, that's fine. You should you should follow him on Twitter. Well, I will do. Does he follow me? He win. That's the only reason Joey ever follows anybody. <laughs> um, he said, "Keeper, Ke- Ke- you know, he basically called out Keon and said, like, you know, how could Lloris have done better?" I thought he went to ground too early. Julian, are you going to stick up for? I just thought it was yeah, he went a bit to ground a bit early, and I, I think I think it was not too far from him, too far from his arm to then to just save it. I thought even, it was the bobble that messed see, him up. Yeah, I think so. But you see you see Sanchez, it's, it's, it's not a very good strike. You see how no. big his steps are before he hits the ball. It's not the time, his timing of his, his, his run is good, but his timing of the way he hits the ball is not that great. And I really, I, was, I thought like, what, what happened there? I didn't... If David De Gea's in goal, he saves that. So, so your intelligent man, David Priest here, I'm not quite sure where he's coming from with that one. I don't know. Why don't you engage him? Let's have a Twitter yeah. fight between, no, you know, you know what between Cerebral and what? The one thing what? I would say is that, that there's been two goals this week that are a bit like that. There was that one which you look at and you think he should save that because he's so close to it, like Jules says. Lalana's for Liverpool against City where Joe Hart seems to be on the yeah. floor up before he'd even hit it. You just wonder whether sometimes there are shots that, because the goalkeeper gets quite close to them, you think, well, why hasn't he saved it? But perhaps that's the goalkeeper at the full extent of his dive. I don't know. Even Antonio mm. and, and Lloris against West Ham, I thought this one was a bit weird. For Lloris, who's been so good all season, I thought those two games were, I don't know. Just going back on Pochettino, why, why waiting so long to put Son on? And Shadley leaving him on the bench when you're 11 against 10, you've just got two goals in two minutes, you're on the front foot. They're there for the taking. There was a point where they were there for the taking. You bring Mason on and then you wait and wait and wait and wait. And in 81st minute, when you realise... Maybe we should put a bit more pressure now because they're only down to ten, and they've just yeah, got. Yeah, I didn't you quite know, get the I, Mason thing. Yeah, I didn't get the Mason thing. Shadley, who's been on good, you know, he bailed them out against Swansea, leaving him on the bench in a game like that. I was like, I was a bit disappointed on that level. So there, Rory, a Julian, not. Uh, afraid to have a go at that, the potch. Um, a big just, that's just Jules refusing to blame the Frenchman. That's no. All that did, did any of these two teams show you that they can win the title? Arsenal showed a bit more steel, I suppose, than after, after what happened against Barcelona, United and Swansea, that they came back with 10 is encouraging. The fact that Spurs can kind of run in that company, that they can cope with the pressure, that they didn't lose, they went behind and they came back, helped by the 10 men. Yeah, there's, there's positive signs for both, I think, if you want to see them. But it's been a bad week for both Spurs and Arsenal, the way it's panned out. Right, let's move on to West Brom against Manchester United. Why are we talking about this game? Because Rory K. Smith was there. Rory... 
Let's start talking about West Brom, since we've kind of talked United to death, and we'll talk about Matt oh, in a second. Oh, come on, can't we talk about Louis van Gaal's interpretation of the rules? We will get to that in a second. I wanted to get the game part out of the way. West Bromwich Albion have nine points more than they did last season. They don't seem, at this stage, they don't seem like sort of that much of a lumpy team. They, I kind of think that, that Berahino with, with Rondon looks good. Should I force myself to give Tony Pulis more credit? Yeah, yeah Pulis deserves, deserves credit. I think... He, he said yesterday, actually, that they'd have been a much better side if they'd been able to count on Berahino alongside Rondon all season, which I think is probably right. They do look a lot more dangerous now than they did maybe four or five months ago. That's partly due to Berahino. It's partly due to Pulis's predilection for, for safety first. Rondon is starting to get to grips with the lead. He absolutely battered Daly Blint, and to an extent Chris Smalling yesterday. He really gave him a going over. Scoey's making a face. Uh. I thought Smalling dealt with him really well, Rory. The amount, the amount of times where I saw a ball go over the top and Smalling get his body in between and just Rondon just couldn't physically handle him. Smalling did much better than Blint. It's probably, so it's probably fair to say that Blint will not want to play Salomon and Rondon again and Smalling will be thinking next time they do encounter each other, this is going to be tough. I think Smalling had a difficult afternoon. He did, he, he did cope with it relatively well, but he did have a difficult afternoon. Rory, can I just ask you a question about Deli Blint since you saw him again? Why is he playing centre-back? I... It's all season long, and it's like we're used to it, and he's not the biggest of United's problems. Well, I'll tell you exactly why he's playing centre-back, because Manchester United have a lot of possession, and the way they work it in football is, if it gets boxed off at one side, switch the play, and a centre-back will come out with the football, and that is why Daly Blinn plays centre-back. And what, he's the only back? guy who can come out with the football? Yeah, other and how often does he do it, anyway? Quite often. If Phil Jones were fit, would it be Jones and Smalling? And I hope not. <laughs> not a fan of Phil Jones. I think the bigger question is why he's not put Rojo there. Does Rojo's a better centre back than Blind is, and he's, he's, not, left back he's not better on the ball than Daly Blind. Daly Blind's use of the ball is very intelligent footballer, Daly Blind. Yes, but he doesn't really get around the pitch much because he's very limited athletically and he's not very big. And if you get a big, nasty guy on top of him, and he'll pound him. He, he, he plays like that anymore. He, he's, he, uh, Rondon okay. plays like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Go ask Go ask Robert Huth about Rondon. Oh, he made a face. Yeah. He made a face. Uh, I don't. I don't think Rondon was a superstar. I think he took his goal very, very well, and and he's a handful. But I don't think he's a superstar that you're making him out to be. Listen, mate, he's not a superstar, but he did. He, he Rondon played very, very well yesterday, and he he enjoyed playing against Blint particularly. Smalling, I agree with you, did reasonably well. But the thing I would say about West Brom is that so they kind of had Sessegnon and Berahino and Rondon for a long time. You didn't really think they could score, and that I think says a lot about the way they play. That I watched. The Liverpool game then obviously sat and watched the United game live. It'd be nice to see a Premier League team with a brain at the moment. It's just so kind of hectic and blood and thunder and nothing but blood and thunder. And it's after a while, it's it's quite I don't know, it's kind of exhausting. I recommend it. you watch some Swansea if you want to see a Premier League well, the, team the, with the, a the team. The brain. team who are top have got a brain, but just Leicester play in a certain way and they play they play to, to a plan. Not many other sides do that anymore. Let's talk Juan Mata's red. I know you're keen to 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 discuss this and. Quickly sum up, Mata gets his first yellow in the 26th minute because he tries to stop a sort of a quickly taken free kick. Which was uh, a horrendous decision by him. I, th- I thought it was awful. To, to go into, what was he, four yards away? And well, to actually move, get... if he stands in front of him and doesn't walk away, but he actually goes towards the ball. That's what I was going to ask. Yes. I, 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 I was taught to do that when I played in school, but I was taught, like, just go and stand over the ball. And then the, right? the ref would tell you... Yeah, and then the, the ref tells you to move, yeah, and, and then, then you, you move, move, and in the meantime, everybody's back in yeah, position, exactly. right? Yeah, the dark arts we learn in Latin countries. But this one just seemed weird. And the second one, it was described as a trip on Fletcher. 
it actually looks like he just swings his leg out. I, I, I presume it wasn't very hard, either that or Mata's very physically weak. Because couldn't shouldn't it have hurt Fletcher? Did he just immediately roll with it? He was criticised two weeks ago very heavily for Michelin's goal over in Denmark, where he pulls out of a very, very similar tackle and the lad goes through and scores. Now, whether that's in the back of his mind and thinking, oh, better not do this again, mistimes it, but he doesn't pull out where he should have done. He, he goes in to think, I can win this, but the last minute he should have actually pulled out. But two weeks ago, I don't know whether it's in the back of his mind, he was really heavily criticised by a lot of people. He was sub straight after um, when Michelin scored their second goal. Whether that was in the back of his mind making that decision, right. I don't know. He's played 430-odd matches as a, as a professional for, for Castilla, Valencia, Chelsea, Manchester United and Spain. Is it odd to you that he's never had a red card and and that Van Hal would raise that as a defense? I mean, is, is, is Van Hal's implication is that if Lee Catamol does that or Diego Costa, it's okay to give a card, but because it's Juan Mata and we like him, it's not? Is, is it odd that he's never had a red card? I guess it's given the type of player he is. It's not, it's not sort of staggering, but it is. He's I, also it, had very few yellows too. It's, it's, it's quite an achievement. Yeah, that, there's no question about that. I think what Van Hal said about the referee should have looked at, looked at him and thought that's Juan Mata and not sent him <laughs> off is a quite staggering claim. It really is. And you, you, you could kind of tell that he didn't really believe it. Does, what on earth does that mean? That you know, if there's someone that you think kind of a bit of a, that you, you book them straight away and that if, if someone who's quite a nice fella, I mean, I suppose it's a way of incentivising footballers to be nice people, but the one thing, that, one phrase that annoys me, and we've, we've seen it this weekend time and time again, is, is this thing that, this idea that referees should apply common sense. Referees shouldn't apply anything except the rules. But do you know what I mean? Like, you, th- this idea that, that or even, the, I mean, it's, it's best summed up in the phrase that the referee ruined the spectacle by sending someone off early on. The referee's job is not to protect the spectacle. It is <laughs> to apply the rules. Matter does not get leeway because he's a nice bloke or because of his previous record. It's not caught. Well, they, they were both, I mean, encro- booking him for encroachment, you could maybe make the argument it's slightly officious, but then it is in the rules that it's a yellow card to book him. No, it was a swipe. He swiped at Darren Fletcher. It was wild. It didn't hurt Fletcher, but it could easily have hurt Fletcher. Anybody want to stick up for Van Hal? Yes. No, I won't. He's a joke. The guy is a joke. And you know what? It's not it's actually what he said yesterday was not surprising. It goes in the line of everything he's done this season. That dive against Arsenal was so pathetic. It was so pathetic that that's what made it funny. There was nothing else about being funny. Taking Juan Mata. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
off and put Nick Powell on in a Champions League decisive game was so <laughs> pathetic as well. And what he said yesterday was as pathetic as everything he's done so far this season. It's just a joke. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And I, I beg Ed Woodward and Manchester United to keep him at the club for another five years. After that, we're going to get bored. But for the next five years, we'll have a lot of fun by looking at this. Okay. I think you're being harsh. I think he's died. It's the greatest thing he's done at Old Trafford since he's been there. Screw it. That, I'm, I'm, that, that does not say a lot. Scoy, I'm yeah. gonna, There's uh, six in the table. He spent a quarter of a billion pounds. I'm going to put on. you on the spot. Uh, it's a two-part question. first one is, should Louis van Gaal be replaced as Manchester United manager? Yes. What if Steve McLaren were the only other manager left <laughs> in the world who could replace him? Would you still do that? I think his silence speaks volumes. Gab, can I, can I say something about the, um, the Jose Mourinho campaign to get the Manchester United job? So Eladio comes out and says that that actually Jose can fulfil all of United's dreams because he gave 20 players their debuts from the, um, from the Cantera at Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yesterday, Frank Lampard weighs in and says, described it as a good fit for both United and for Mourinho, which is the equivalent of saying you might as well settle for him. So I'm looking forward now to someone coming out and saying that United aren't getting any younger, <laughs> that maybe they want to have children, that their biological clock is ticking. It's increasingly <laughs> pathetic. Can I, can I also say something? I have a privilege of spending some time with Frank Lampard. I really like him. I don't believe he really gives a hoot about who the Manchester United manager is. Or if he does, he does it the other way, given that he spent most of his career at, at, at Chelsea and yeah, then latterly exactly. at Manchester City. If you <laughs> ask them, like, would Mr. Blobby be a good fit, just to make the question go away. I, we attach so much importance to this. And I, I know Frank's a very intelligent guy, but like, it's not his job to go and figure out. It's not like he's like a he's the man from McKinsey who's done a consulting report for, for Ed Woodward and no, recommended if, him. Will Jose Mourinho be in charge of Manchester United's first game next season? Yes, I think so. But I note that you haven't answered my McLaren yeah. or Van Hal question. Have another minute. Take a few Who's worse? seconds Who's to think worse? about Van Hal or McLaren? McLaren. Rory? I don't know. I, I think it's a straight fight between him and Giggs. I don't think there's anybody else in the frame, although there, there's always been this sort of undercurrent that Simeone might, might, might sort of appear. But I, I, I genuinely don't know, and I, I don't think people at United know. And I, the, the fact that it's still kind of up in the air... Well, we know that. They don't know what they're doing. That, that's but, the, but the fact that Mourinho does seem to be sort of launching this... I mean, Frank Lampard might, as Gab says, Lampard might have sort of had to say that as he was asked the question. Eladio Padames doesn't have to say anything. He, he will clearly have been told by either Mourinho or someone in Mourinho's camp, make this pitch for us. But I think the fact that Mourinho, yeah, and that, that's what's significant, the fact that Mourinho is still getting people to sort of fight his corner suggests how up in the air it is. I want to move on to, to a story last week, which Rory wrote about. And I want to put you on the spot here, but the genesis of this was that on Tuesday, I believe, there was a, a meeting at the Dorchester Hotel in uh, central London, which uh, The Sun reported on and described as a secret meeting, breakaway, super league. Not much league. traffic goes past that hotel, is there? Yeah. Why would you pick that hotel? <laughs> exactly. Well, five most powerful Leaving aside the absolute football. stupidest thing that it was <laughs> they not. They could have come round yours and done it, couldn't they? They could the have, West yes. Wing, uh, the I often have paparazzi outside my house yeah, as well. That's true. In yeah. case Scully comes by. Um, they can't get out of it. It's a bit like Downing Street. They can get to the street, can't they? But then exactly. the gate man yeah, won't exactly. let them any further. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Obviously, we can knock this whole secret meeting thing on the head because you're not going to have a secret meeting at the Dorchester Hotel. And, and even if you did, you're not all going to walk out the front door <laughs> together. It, it created sort of this frenzy. And, and the guy who the, the, the guy who called the meeting is, is, is a guy, and full disclosure, is a guy I've known for a very long time named Charlie Stilitano, who basically he, he helps organize uh, those preseason uh, summer tournaments in, in the U.S. and now in, uh, in Australia and China. What was interesting about it 
was that the story quickly after all the clubs denied it, they said, no, we were talking preseason tours. And I immediately took it to mean that they were talking actually about the power struggle, which I think this is a really important story that's going on. Given that UEFA don't have a president and they don't have a, a general secretary right now, the clubs, the European Club Association, through Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and the adorable Andrea Agnelli, want to cut themselves a better deal. Uh, there's been all sorts of stuff like sort of automatic bids and promotion and relegation from the Champions League and wild cards and all this nonsense. That that was one of the things that they talked about. And I think that's something that we need to, that, that really we should be reporting more on because I think that's going to fundamentally change the Champions League. What was interesting, though, is that None of the clubs, while everybody was going, was quick to go and, uh, and crucify poor old Charlie, who incidentally, if you get a chance to listen to his original audio, he wasn't advocating that clubs should get automatic bids, even though everybody's gone and crucified him. He was simply laying out that this would be their position and this is the counter-argument. The fact is, these owners, this would benefit them, and they would be in favor of it. You know, I will believe them when Stan Kroenke or, or, or the Glazers come out and say, you know what, like, we big clubs, we already have too many big advantages in the Champions League. You know, I can finish fourth in the Premier League and I get in. That's an unfair advantage. We get 40% of the of the, the TV money through through the market pool. That's a really unfair advantage, right? A- am I wrong here, Rory? No, no, I don't think so. I think that, as you say, I mean, I've, I've, I don't know Charlie, but I've, I've done his show on Sirius XM a couple of times and no question, he's well-connected. A lot of people in football speak very highly of him. He seems like a nice fella. The, the and more, quotes, Most importantly, he wasn't saying that this yeah. is what they should no, do. No, no, no. The quotes that were attributed to him from Sirius were saying, this is the club's point of view. This is obviously what he is hearing. It's, if you speak to the, the chief execs of any major club, that is exactly what they think. They think that they don't get a big enough slice of the Champions League pie. They think that they are well aware that if there was some sort of Super League, they would make a lot more money. They would like it to be a closed shop, pretty much all of them. They're aware that you know, the risk of relegation and, and missing out is kind of what lends football its edge, but they obviously think there is a payoff to be made there in terms of how much they can earn compared to the risks of missing out. Every couple of years, somebody comes out and, and kind of breaks ranks and says, actually, yeah, this is a good idea. Galatasaray did it a couple of years ago. Aurelio De Laurentiis, the Napoli chairman, does it about once every six months. You know, there, there are clubs out there who are obviously in favour of a Super League, and Charlie passed that on. I don't think the, the, the meeting, it doesn't seem to have been a meeting about setting up a Super League. It, it doesn't seem to have been a meeting necessarily just about changing the Champions League. I think issues about maybe playing Champions League games abroad in, in the States, they probably came up. No, they um, didn't. It, no, they, in, I, know, I know somebody tweeted that, but I spoke to two people who were there, and they told me that that was never an issue. In that case, I take that back. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's just, I, I think there's some people, people who pass information on to, to, to the media and who spin things a certain way. I think this is a very obvious situation, where there were a lot of people in the shadows who I'm not going to name because I'm I have an idea who they might be, but I don't know who. I, I can't say for sure. And they're good friends of yours. Yeah, they're all close <laughs> personal friends. There's two things that, that I think are indisputable. One is that, that it's in the the interest of the ECA the European Clubs Association, for UEFA to think that these talks are happening. There Absolutely. There is a possibility yeah, sure. that they might go. Do they want more money from the Champions League? And the other is that, that anything that, that kind of compromises the integrity of how you qualify for that competition kills it. Or hurts it. 
I, I, I think it does a lot of damage yeah, to do it. Do you not know, think it's ironic that three of the clubs that are there are probably not going to get in the Champions League this year? Right, but but, but that's why I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about money, isn't it? Well, of course. And it's all yeah. about greed and, and, and this, that and the other. They've got to be really, really careful because the actual match-going fan towards the people they're actually admit, the distance between these people now is so great and the more money that comes into the, the game, the more the match-day fan is going to get disillusioned with the whole lot. They've all, already got this massive ticket demonstration going on has it, has it really made a difference not really they sort of fallen on and it's all these clubs have got one thing how can we raise more and that's all the glaciers and people like that how can we raise more money how can we get this that and the other got no interest but in the football club you, or the football you, inside the, the thing is there, there is you're perfectly right there there is definitely a new kind of of owner i made this point in a column i wrote uh, yeah, 25 years ago the owners were either people who were happy to lose money because they got benefits another way or their clubs were running at break even or whatever else now you have people who are in it just for the return which isn't necessarily a bad thing but people like that will want to maximize revenues and uh, the, the ultimate the gap, who are they going to get the revenues from? Who, who are they going to get? I'll tell you, they get the revenues from the match-going fan. Is who they're going to get the revenues right, from? Right, but it's usually their own fans. Let's say you and I go. Actually, no. I'll give you a better example. Let's say you and Matthew Syed, right, enter a doubles table tennis tournament. Right. I'm assuming you're not a particularly good tennis table tennis player. I used to have a table actually, but no, not great. Okay, I would assume relative to Matthew Syed, you're rubbish because he was an Olympian, right? And you guys go on to win. And you get a hundred thousand pounds in prize money, but you just kind of screw up all the time and cost them points. And Matthew gets every ball and wins, right? Would Matthew be entitled to come and t- to go to you and say, "Listen, Scully, this hundred grand, I'm going to keep eighty grand of it. You can have the other twenty grand because, frankly, you contributed very little. In fact, you were kind of a liability to me." Okay, would he well, be entitled to say that? Right. Well, fair enough, he is. But I'll tell you what will happen with that. If that happens and the clubs at the top get richer and the clubs at the bottom, you will not have a Premier League season like we've had this year. Now, if you think that's better for the game, then fair play. But you will get the very, very elite at the very top and everyone else will be scrapping away thinking, let's put 11 players behind the ball, try and get a nil-nil. Oh, great, we've got our £300 million next season. Right. Do people want to see that? No, I, I I don't think they do, but I think the answer, what, what they would put, is that I, I th- ultimately... I think to, to go and have that meeting, half of them should be shamed to be there. It really it just doesn't... Well, I don't know who they think they are. I'm told that the, 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 the top four or five... Ed Woodward, why aren't you going to have a, a meeting about your academy and sort that out? Yeah, <laughs> thinking about Woodward, I would have thought he'd have slightly more important things uh, uh, to do. It's also kind of funny that Daniel Levy wasn't there, but, yeah. you know. Right, and I hope in that new Super League there's no relegation because English clubs will be pretty um, right, close stop, to it, I stop. think. That's mean, that's mean. Right, so we want to one of them other, will win it anyway. One right, of the points on. I wanted to touch upon this week is, and it's obviously a, a sensitive point, is this um, this Adam Johnson uh, business? He, he Scoey's making a face, which suggests to me that he doesn't want to talk about it. So I won't ask him any questions. But I want to turn around though and talk about Sunderland. Sunderland are getting a lot of uh, a lot of grief right now for the fact that they allowed him to continue playing until the actual trial. And it would have been one thing if he'd said, "No, look, I'm innocent. I'm innocent." Okay, fine. Presumption of innocence. You know, you're entitled to that, and so you're entitled to, to continue playing, and then once you're found guilty, then we sack you. He pleaded guilty, and there was some suggestion that they knew he was going to plead guilty, a strong suggestion that they knew he was going to plead guilty. I think it was very hard for them to, to sack him when the story came out, especially if he told them, I did nothing wrong there. Roy, what's, what's your take as a northern moral arbiter? I mean, it's really, it's really difficult, isn't it? If Johnson's told them that he is going to plead innocent, that, that he's done nothing wrong, then they're, they're under no obligation to prevent him from doing his job. Just as, as Matthew Syed says today, when he serves his sentence and he comes out, he, he kind of has a right 
or you can make the case that he has a right to continue in his line of work. Now, it's difficult as his line of work is, is as a footballer, as an idol, as a kind of as a public figure. Given what he's done, it's difficult for him to do that. But strictly speaking, you know, if he was a plumber or a, a painter and decorator or whatever, he'd go back to work because you pay you pay your sentence, you kind of serve, and then you, you are released and theoretically rehabilitated. It all comes down to what Sunderland knew. It comes down to what Sunderland knew. I, I felt last season when when he kind of came back after the initial suspension, I felt slightly awkward that they seemed it did seem to be the case that maybe if they were mid table and there was no problem, they wouldn't be playing him. But it it all comes down to to what they knew and when they knew it, basically. Right, how about some quick hits? Uh, Leicester win at Watford and Riyad Mahrez is the difference maker, not for the first time. Scoey used to vote for those PFA Player of the Year things, and I suspect you were not one of those people who just never returned his ballot and had his skipper go and uh, fill it out for the entire team. I suspect you actually took it seriously. If you still had a vote, would he get your vote? No, he wouldn't. My vote would go to uh, Jamie Vardy. Uh, and what happens in a lot of these votes, it's forms. I think they usually come out in February, so they've probably been out by now, which is always a little bit silly. Uh, not quite one of these, right? Who played well at the weekend? He'll get my vote. Uh, I think he's had a fantastic season for Mahrez, and it was a wonderful goal at the weekend. But I think Vardy, what he did at the time he did, breaking, going on that uh, goal-scoring record, breaking Van Nistelrooy's record, was superb, and I think he's edged it for me. Is he wrong in one word? And Golo Conte, two words. Roy? Mares, but those are the top three. Top three all Leicester players, wow. Yeah, I think so. Everton throw away a two-goal lead against West Ham, and now the Hammers are thinking Champions League. Roy, stick up for your boy, Roberto Martinez. Uh, it's not that easy to stick up for Roberto Martinez at the moment. Uh, it just seems to be that Everton are kind of treading water, and it's a real shame. They, they, they were reduced to 10 men, obviously, which made it difficult, but the fact that they, they were two up... Uh, and could have been three up if, if Lukaku hadn't taken a terrible penalty. Makes it very, very hard to try to defend him. Newcastle lose at home to Bournemouth, and it's an absolute freaking zoo. Uh, we've had Steve McLaren rowing with a local journalist. We've had newspapers bizarrely deciding the story was worth reporting, but then not naming uh, the local journalist. We've had Alan Shear sailing very close to the wind on Match of the Day and almost inviting people to read between the lines about certain things. And I'm going to stop there because Shear, no doubt, has a bigger legal fund than I do. Julian, what is going on? And has the manager ever treated you the way Stevie Mack treated that poor soul. I had a call one day from Giroud after, after I criticised Djibril uh, Sissé when he was still at Auxerre at the time to insult me. But I just think Steve McLaren is a dreadful manager. He always was. He will always be a dreadful manager. And when he comes after the game saying he doesn't understand why you know, he should not stay in, in his job like Rory said in his little column today, it was just ridiculous. And I think the way he treated that journalist as well shows signs of him losing it completely and, and just... I just can't see why they will stick with him. Liverpool overcome Crystal Palace thanks to a last-minute penalty which upsets Alan Pardew to no end. Scoa, you're totally impartial here because you've got no particular links to Crystal Palace whatsoever. There was contact from Delaney, but was it enough to bring down a big, strong boy like Christian Benteke? And I'm specifically asking you because in your playing days you were roughly Benteke-sized. Right, not sure what that's got to do with it. But, uh, well, because if you're a little guy and you only weigh like and, and you only weigh like, like 120 pounds, it's going to take less to knock you over than you know if you're if you're a big, strong, professional athlete. It doesn't quite work like that, Gabdo, does it? So you know that we know that. <laughs> I think it's one of those in those decisions. There's more not given than given. 
But the bigger picture is, and I got told today that Crystal Palace are the only team in all four divisions that haven't won a game in 2016. They've got big, big problems, Crystal Palace. I don't think they'll go down. But all of a sudden, they were being talked about maybe Champions League before Christmas. I think they've got enough points, but there's big, big problems at Sellers Park. Uh, they haven't won since December 19th, in the F- uh, but they have won, of course, in the in the yeah, FA yeah, Cup. Yeah. Manchester City roll over Aston Villa 4-0. Right. Uh, they have a game in hand, and because they'll definitely win it, uh, they're really only seven points back. Making up seven points in nine matches on Leicester City shouldn't be an issue, should it? Well, the thing with Man City is they are the one team in the league that you look at and think they could, if they wanted to, or if they decided to sort of play to their best all the time, they could go on the sort of run that would enable them to close the gap. They're too inconsistent to close it, I think. What if they could play Villa every single week? Uh, then they would be top. Chelsea are held by Stoke, 1-1, and whatever residual hopes of making the top four probably end there. Julien, Paris Saint-Germain come uh, come up on Wednesday. Uh, how close is this one going to be? It's going to be very close. I'm stressing out already. I don't have a good feeling about this one as well. As a, obviously a big PSG fan, I'm completely not objective about it. I still hope PSG will go through, but it's going to be a tough game. And, and like I said, I don't have a good feeling about it at all. You weren't encouraged by all the scrubs and no names they played at the. Who's the guy who played at centre back? Uh, Kimpembe. It's one of the good youngsters. They're, we've got a few good ones coming through. It's really good. I was happy. You know, I was remember happy. when Sako was a good youngster coming Rabiad. through. The yeah, but Rabiad. yeah, Rabiad. Rabiad. good and Kuku. Yeah, no, no, they've got they've got a good generation coming. There's there's one in the under 19s, Edouard, who's really really good. Jules, have you seen much of Usman Dembélé at Rennes? Oh yeah, yeah. I spoke about him on BT Sport last week. And everybody was at the ground. You spoke yesterday. about him last week, and then he scores a hat trick this yeah. week. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, man. Love yeah, man. Team. Remember the name, people. Usman Dembele is eighteen. Can you please talk about right. Shinji Okazaki next He's week? Amazing. Uh, yeah, on, you want on, him to on, score a hat trick? I, I yeah. think Claudio would, would be very as, grateful. As Usman, Gab, one for you. The hipsters insist the biggest game in Europe this past weekend wasn't in North London, nor Point was it Paris. between the game you played in, Oxford versus Cambridge University, but it was at the West Fallon Stadion where Borussia Dortmund hosted Bayern Munich. What happened? Well, what happened was Borussia Dortmund went into the game five points back and I thought they were totally going to go for it and and they did and Thomas Tuchel sort of uh, impressed you by kind of redrawing the lineup, playing this sort of weird 3-4-3 three, three high, hybrid. And for an hour, I mean, they played at an absolutely insane pace. Uh, it was the f- lowest possession totals for Bayern in the Pep, in the Pep era. The problem is they just couldn't score. And because footballers, even German footballers, aren't machines in the final half hour, they just they just ran out of gas. And and what was interesting then too is Bayern then played this sort of possession, make it big, keep it safe game rather than their usual more aggressive possession game, which I think is a really valuable weapon that they might turn to if in the future if they get a lead. And they kind of just put the game to sleep and, and it finished Finished nil-nil. The gap remains five points. Some foolish people are spinning and saying, like, well, it's not such a bad result for Borussia Dortmund because it's still only five points and it would have been eight points and the league would have been over over if they lost. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, how many points are Bayern really going to drop between now and the end of the season? So you feel Dortmund had to win? I, I certainly think they do. I think I think they gamble. They went for it. And I, I can't fault anything Tuchel did. The problem is, ultimately, there is, like, there's a quality gap between the individual players. On the uh, the Borussia Bayern game, that incredible scene between Pep and Joshua Kimmich at the end was just incredible. You should go on the internet and, and on YouTube and see this. Basically, what 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 happened? It's a final whistle. You think Bayern would be you know relieved, kind of happy, 
and Pep goes and he's got smoke coming out of his ears and he takes this, this Joshua Kimmich who's a 20 year old midfielder playing at centre back who and played well who played well I thought he played yeah, well, he I, well, well. I, I, I don't think he's that good I mean but yeah I mean they, you know, he didn't score so he did his job and I think he was very lucky that Aubameyang, for whatever reason, seemed to, every time he was sprinting, it was on Alaba's side and not his side. Yeah. But h- how would you describe it? He gave him this combination of pep talk, riot act, <laughs> lots of physical touching, a big hug at the end. And then big hug at the end and then saying he loves him. I'm like, dude, Pep, like, you're leaving. You're never going to see this dude ever again. <laughs> and well, at the end of this game... To Man City. What? He might end up at Man City, so let's hope. Yeah, he doesn't. maybe he's a security guard. I, I don't, I don't know. I, it was I, so weird. It was, it was surreal. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Julian Lawrence and James Scowcroft here in the studio, and joining us by a special telephone exchange connection from deepest north, it's Rory K. Smith. Rory, I'm delighted. You can still hear me, correct? I can still hear you. Yes. Amazing, amazing what did technology it snow, can be. Did it snow this weekend? It did snow, yeah. We had loads of snow. Wow. You had loads of snow? Really north. Really. Yeah, it's the north, Jam. Wow. Y'all there, was, there, was like a, there was loads of snow. There was like a wolf, a couple of bears. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing. So my producer Dave says it snowed in London yesterday. Really? Well, what well, London yeah, would that be? Like, in Regent's Park, it was snowing. Anyway, you can press that subscribe button if you want to hear us every week. But even if you don't, we're still going to be right back here next week. Also, remember, you can get exclusive football highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.